Very good morning, Amoka family. Today at Amoka Church, we call it Stewardship Sunday. It is never easy to preach about the giving of money, but what probably makes it even more difficult this year is the economic situation we currently find ourselves in. Singapore's GDP is expected to contract by 7 to 15% this year. Singapore's total unemployment plunged, uh, sorry, Singapore's total employment plunged in quarter one close to 20,000. The sharpest drop since SARS in 2003. And DPM Heng has repeatedly used the words unprecedented crisis. Without a doubt, this year will be a much more financially strapped year. Calling all of you to give will certainly be misconstrued by some listeners. But I will tell you why I am forging ahead. As early as late 2019, when the pulpit calendar for the year was being drafted, the Lord had already given me a title for today's sermon. When you have nothing to give. When you have nothing to give. Way before even some of these Roman series sermons were crafted. That's so amazing, right? Little did I imagine, you know, how COVID-19 will wreak such havoc on all our lives. But now as I look back, <clears throat> I see the tremendous foresight that the Lord had given. What other message can be as relevant as when you have nothing to give than this season? And so having set the stage for today's sermon, let us pray as we begin. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, Hide your preacher behind your cross. Lord, let your word be declared boldly, without fear or favor, because the truth always sets us free. Renew our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now we begin today's sermon by looking at 1 Kings chapter 17, the account of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Verse 7. Sometime later the brook dried up. It hadn't rained in the land for quite a while. A message came to Elijah from the Lord. He said, Go right away to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So Elijah went to Zarephath. He came to the town gate. A widow was there gathering sticks. He called out to her, Ask, Would you bring me a little water in a jar? I need a drink. And she went to get the water. Then he called out to her, Please bring me a piece of bread too. I don't have any bread, she replied. And that's just as sure as the Lord your God is alive. All I have is a small amount of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in the jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home. I'll make one last meal for myself and my son. We'll eat it. After that, we'll die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home. Do what you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me. Make it out of what you have and bring it to me. Then make some for yourself and your son. The Lord is the God of Israel. He says, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jar will always have oil in it. You will have flour and oil until the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did what Elijah had told her. So Elijah had food every day. There was also food for the woman and her family. The jar of flour wasn't used up. The jar always had oil in it. And that's what the Lord had said would happen. He had spoken the message through Elijah. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. The word for the day is straightforward. When you have nothing to give, give anyway. 
When you have nothing to give, give anyway. And we can give because God will supply all our needs in Christ Jesus. As Philippians chapter 4 verse 9 declares, God will supply all our needs in Christ Jesus. The widow in this story we have just read had just enough for herself and her son. In fact, the widow was prepared to die after one last meal. Yet when the prophet Elijah said, please bring me a loaf of bread, the widow complied. She could have been selfish, you know. After all, it was her last meal. Why would she share this meal with a stranger? Or she could have doubted God's word. I mean, how is it possible for this flour and oil not to run out? It simply defies logic. Plus, this woman, this widow, was not a Jew. She was a Sidonite, considered an enemy of God's people. She could have resisted serving food to an enemy. Yet, she decided to put her trust in God's unfailing word. She trusted that this jar of flour and the jug of oil will not run out. And sure enough, God's word came to pass. Her son and her, as well as the prophet Elijah, have food every single day. Even though this poor widow had almost nothing to give, she gave anyway. And God did supply all her needs. And so Amoke family, what I'm boldly asking all of you is to similarly put our trust in God's unchanging character and His unfailing word. That our God, our Father in heaven, is a generous provider. And that even when we have nothing to give, we give anyway, because God will supply all our needs in Christ Jesus. Now I know this message can be easily misconstrued in several ways. In many parts of the world, prosperity gospel preachers preach a similar message. When you have nothing to give, give anyway, because God will surely bless you and provide for you. And such a message does find ready soil in many impoverished communities. The result, however, is extremely detrimental and a terrible Christian witness. The poor continue to be poor, oppressed, while the prosperity gospel preacher becomes richer and richer. Now, personally, I can't comprehend how a preacher can ever fly around in a private jet knowing that his pleasure came at the expense of many human beings. I shudder to think what it would be like for those prosperity gospel preachers on the Day of Judgment. But I need all of us here at Amoku Church as members and worshippers to know, as our finance chair, uh, Patrick, has presented, most of your giving goes to worthy causes. For example, staff costs takes up 30%, and it doesn't include the pastors here, this 30%. And then 17% goes to conference commitment, that big pool where all the track pastors, 60 plus of us, receive our salary from. And then 11% goes to infrastructural costs, like this building here, as well as the GMC staff. These three categories alone make up 58% of our budget. Missions and outreach make up another 16%, which we church leaders do not wish to cut down just because we are in a difficult time, because God's mission never stops. And then worship makes up 13%, only because it's largely due to the hub cinema rental cost. In other words, if you see all these figures, the percentage of so-called discretionary spending on ourselves is only 13%. More than 80% of our budget goes to rather fixed costs and worthy causes. 
And so therefore, I'm making a strong appeal to everyone. Your faithful and generous giving matters. Your faithful and generous giving matters. It supports many full-time ministry staff and their families and enables ministry to carry on. We have all heard of this familiar story where a man was brought up to see both heaven and hell. In the vision of hell, there was a dining hall filled with rows of tables, each table filled with a magnificent feast. It looked and smelled delicious, but the people seated around the tables were all skinny, emaciated, all moaning with hunger. And then he saw that each person had a long spoon, but the spoon was too long. Though they tried to feed themselves, they weren't able to bring the food to their mouths. Despite the abundance in front of them, they were starving. And then this person saw heaven next, the exact same scene. The food was all over the table, was abundant food all around, but the people were happy, laughing, enjoying themselves. Why? The difference was, in heaven, the people fed each other. Believers in Christ, as a family, as the people of God, we learn to feed and take care of one another. In hell, the picture that is painted is a selfish picture. We would rather go hungry than to help others. But in heaven, we feed one another. We put our trust in our brother and sister to feed us in return. And so this Stewardship Sunday, as we look forward to Pledge Sunday next week and the new financial year in August, I would like to believe that we will begin to live out a bit more of this heavenly reality here on earth where we supply one another's needs in church, our church, a home with a heart. But if you don't mind, I wish to clarify the statement I made earlier. Even when you have nothing to give, give anyway with a few sub-points to steer far away from any semblance to prosperity gospel preaching. Sub-point one, when we have nothing to give, we want to give anyway not to earn man's approval, but to delight God's heart. Not to earn man's approval, but to delight God's heart. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were people who faithfully paid their tithes and even gave to the poor. But listen to what Jesus had to say about them in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth, that is a tithe, right? A tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, these religious leaders gave purely out of obligation. Their hearts were actually cold. They didn't truly love God or love people. And again, in Luke chapter 20, verses 46 to 47, Jesus warns us. He says, Beware the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. But they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Now, these verses condemn the teachers of the law because they benefited from others' expense, like the prosperity gospel preachers have done. The teachers of the law essentially loved themselves above all else. They had neither love of God 
nor love of neighbour. It is immediately after this skating critique that we come to Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, the other Bible passage for today. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All the these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus commended this poor widow because all the others gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty everything she had to live on. Like the widow of Zarephath, this poor widow gave everything unto the Lord and trusted God to provide and supply all her needs. When she had almost nothing to give, what did she do? She gave anyway. She trusted God to supply all her needs. Now, what would you have done if you were in this poor widow's uh, positions? Mind you, you know, widows were the most vulnerable in those days. And that's why the early church had a widow's ministry. Women in those days were completely dependent on their spouses for livelihood. And so when they became widowed, it was literally the end of their lives. Yet, out of her dire poverty, and who knows how long she had been widowed, this poor widow chose to honour God with every cent that she had. And so again, we come back to the lesson for today. When we have nothing to give, almost nothing to give, let us give anyway. Not to earn man's approval, but to delight God's heart. The Pharisees and teachers of the law gave to impress people with their huge gifts, perhaps 10,000 or more in our day. But it was this widow who delighted God's heart, and that's why Jesus commended her. Last Sunday, we celebrated Father's Day, and a friend sent me the following quote, A truly rich man is one whose children run, to, run into his arms when his hands are empty. A truly rich man is one whose children run into his arms when his hands are empty. Now how true is that? A good question for reflection. Why do we give our pledges, our tithes, our offerings? Now for me, God is my heavenly father and as an Asian, I've always been brought up to honour my parents through my giving and so without fail, I always set aside money every month to give to my parents, my earthly parents but also to God, my heavenly father. This for me is a non-negotiable. It is both my duty and joy to honour God, my heavenly father with my giving. But I must confess, you know, that delighting God was not always foremost on my agenda. There was a season in my life I chased after the gifts of God more than the giver himself. There was a season I was longing for the gifts of God, like the gifts of healing, prophecy. It wasn't until my spiritual father spoke a loving word of rebuke to me that I woke up. He said to me, Anthony, you've got to stop prostituting yourself after the gifts of God. Wow, that's a strong statement. That was a real wake-up call. Stop prostituting yourselves after the gifts of God. On the surface, it seemed like I was hungry for more of God as I went conference after conference. 
But in reality, I was hungering for the power behind ministry rather than God himself. Since then, I've repented. The good news is that this loving rebuke shifted my spirit and shifted my mindset. I went primarily from striving to be a good minister of God to primarily resting in my position as a child of God. Moving from being just a servant of God to being a son of God. You know, I would like to think that there are different seasons in our journey and growth as Christians. Almost inevitably, we begin with that place where we have to worship. Perhaps we grew up in a Christian home where our parents dragged us to Sunday school and we have to worship. Perhaps even now as parents, some of us, we, we feel like we have to worship to set an example for our children. But hopefully we all can come to the next place where we want to worship. Perhaps God has delivered us from a huge disaster or terrible sickness. Perhaps we found such peace and joy in God's presence through worship. That wonderful place where we delight to worship God, we desire to worship God, we want to worship. But I think eventually we all have to arrive at that place where we choose to worship. Regardless of circumstances, because in our experience, I've walked with the Lord over the many years, we know how good God really is and we choose to love and honour Him regardless of what we see around us. Like Job, God's desire is that we are weaned off from worshipping God because of what He can bless us with. Satan's taunt to God is simple. Job only worships you, God, because you bless Him. Why not? You really bless Him by making Him suffer and see if Job will still worship you. That's Satan's taunt to God. To Job's credit, he emerges from the trials with a faith purer than gold. Job chose to worship God even when he had nothing. He chose to worship God even when he had nothing. And so today's message, when you have nothing to give, give anyway, stems really from that place of choice. When we choose to worship and give, even if we get nothing in return, that's when we become like Job. This Father's Day, I was blessed with self-made gifts by my children. They are now older and more able to express themselves. You can look at these pictures uh, of what they have given to me. My son even made uh, his own uh, movie using iMovie on the iPad. Why do you think they made these gifts out of their own accord? Did they give me this gift expecting a gift in return? No. Did I quote to them the Bible, Honour your father and your mother? No. My children gave me gifts because they have a wonderful relationship with me and they simply wanted to delight my heart. On the other hand, I do not have an intimate relationship with my dad, mainly because when I was growing up, my parents were divorced, I didn't spend a lot of time with him when I was young. Yes, I have reconciled with him and I continue to honour him now, but there is a vacuum of intimacy which cannot be easily filled. So what I'm trying to say really is this, there is a huge difference between religion and relationship, compulsion or even duty versus freedom, free will. Is Christianity to you merely a religion or fundamentally a relationship with God? Yes, it's good and right to honour God with our giving. That's our duty. 
But it's a whole new level to delight God's heart because of our deep love for Him. And so family, unless there is this shift in our mindset, in our spirits, we will always find it hard to please God with our giving. As long as we continue to see God as a slave master, we will always find it hard to make that transition of Christianity as a religion to Christianity as an intimate relationship with the wonderful God of the universe. My prayer for all of us is that God will grant us a fuller, deeper revelation of who He really is as our perfect Heavenly Father. Of all the images of God in the Bible, almost always do we see God seated on His throne or walking alongside. There is only one occasion where God is depicted as running. And that is when the father ran towards his wayward son. The only picture of the Bible where God runs is towards sinners. That's how great the love of the father is. Now they flip this image around. Will we run to God's arms even when God has nothing to offer us? Will we run into the Father's arms even when we get nothing in return? A truly rich man is one whose children run into his arms when his arms, hence, are empty. May we learn to delight in God even when we get nothing in return. Now this leads me to my second point. When we have nothing to give, we still want to give anyway, not to receive greater financial blessings like the prosperity gospel teaches, but to relish in the joy of blessing others. It has been said, God will never shortchange us when we give to Him. And this is totally true. I affirm it with all my heart. But unfortunately, this statement is also used as a tool by prosperity gospel preachers to get people to continue giving. And therefore, I need to be very clear that this is not the reason why I'm asking us to give. I'm not asking you all to give so that God will bless you in return. Even though I know very well that God is good and will surely never shortchange us and bless us in return. But I want to challenge us to give simply because of the joy of giving and blessing others. Now, most of you know, should know by now, I like to cook. And that's because I like to eat, Okay. I can tell you there is no greater joy for me than to see my family wall up this food that I cook. Like my son said on Father's Day, I'm a big fan of Papa's cooking. Wow, that really warmed my heart. Sure, I like to, to eat, but it is even more heartwarming, more shook to hear my family give rave reviews about my cooking. In the case of me cooking for my family, think about it, I get nothing economically in return. I use my money to buy the ingredients. I use my time to repair the ingredients and to cook. And sometimes I even have to wash the dishes myself <laughs> after the meal. But why do I do that? Because as Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts chapter 20 verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Don't you realize that if you can afford to give, you are already blessed. Think about that. If you have money in your bank accounts, in your wallet, you are already blessed. Earlier, I've already mentioned the three seasons in our Christian life where we have to worship and then we want to worship and then we choose to worship. Due to COVID-19, I realize there is a fourth season. 
that realization that we get to worship, that privilege of getting to worship. I'm sure we all can attest now, gathering to worship is a privilege. We no longer get to worship the way we want to. I certainly miss the joy of uh, corporate worship and this empty sanctuary doesn't really help, this feeling. But in a mysteriously wonderful way, I'm not sure if you have realized it, long before COVID-19, God has already made worship a privilege for every believer everywhere because we no longer confine worship to a physical location because worship is found in a person, Jesus Christ. We get to worship wherever we are, whoever we are, because of Jesus Christ. That's such a divine and wonderful privilege. The difference between one who sees God as a slave master and one who sees God as father is in our attitude towards worship and giving. The servant feels he or she has to worship, has to give. Or the son or the daughter knows it is a wonderful privilege. He or she gets to give that blessed opportunity to bless others in return. For most of us here at Amokyo Church, I believe we are in a privileged position to be able to give. During Circuit Breaker, most of us are probably dealing with hashtag first world problems like no bubble tea, <laughs> no cream cheese for baking, cannot eat out and stuff like that. You know, I've interacted with the rough uh, sleepers in our church. The very fact that, you know, all of us have a roof over our heads is already a blessing. My prayer for all of us is that we move from having to give to realizing what a privilege we have that we get to give and then to the joy of wanting to give and then to that mature place of choosing to give regardless of circumstances. When we have nothing to give, we give anyway. There are two people who have shaped me most in, my, in terms of my understanding of generosity. This is not to say I've not been blessed by the tremendous generosity here at Amokyo Church, but these two people shaped me very early on. The first is my dad. He's not wealthy. Considering that he smokes and drinks, I don't think he's particularly very wise with finances, but he's generous. If he sees a person in need, whether begging, selling tissue, or looking depressed seated at a coffee shop, he will always offer money and help. No questions asked. In fact, just this morning, he made me drive him from Amokyo to Belester just to help a friend buy bachang. <laughs> and the reason for my dad's generosity is very simple. My dad grew up very poor. He hasn't come to know the Lord, so do pray along with me for his salvation. But he grew up poor. He had to quit school very early on uh, to work and to feed his siblings. He knew what it was like to be poor and he didn't want others to experience that pain. This statement is probably very true of him. I learned to give, not because I have much, but because I know exactly how it feels to have nothing. I learned to give, not because I have much, but because I know exactly how it feels to have nothing. And so friends, when Jesus says, it's always more blessed to give than to receive, it is because it means we are already so much blessed in the first place. The second person who greatly impacted me was a man I met while I was serving in a drug uh, rehab halfway house. 
as a theological student. This man had gotten out of prison some years ago and he received uh, about $500 a month as salary to work at the halfway house. Most of the meals are provided, uh, so that's taken care of. But one day, we had the opportunity to go out for ministry. At the time, I was a student at TTC. I received $1,000 in monthly allowance. I had so-called twice his income, right? Twice his allowance. But he insisted on buying me lunch instead. I repeatedly told him, Hey, look, I received more money than you. Why are you treating me? I should be treating you. But at that moment, I realized generosity is not measured by the size of our bank accounts, but really by the size of our hearts. Generosity is measured by the size of our hearts. Both poor widows in our Bible passage for today were commended for the size of their hearts. Here's another question for reflection. Will people people remember us for the size of our hearts? Will people remember us for the size of our hearts? Third and final sub-point, when we have nothing to give, we give anyway, not looking at the present, but sowing for the future. Not looking at the present, but sowing for the future. Recently, I came across an article published by Salt and Light on how God led Anita Farm to start the Invictus Fund. According to a testimony on March 27, as she was on one of her walks, she received a word from, the God, from God telling her to donate a million dollars to help the National Council of Social Services agencies through this COVID season. The fund was to be the support package for our charities as the government did not have anything for them, specifically in the earlier budgets. Four days later, on March 31st, she was on another walk when the Lord said, Call it Invictus Fund. At that moment, she didn't even know what Invictus meant. She had to go Google and to make sure it provides the right context. And when she Googled it, the meaning was unconquered, undefeated. And that was exactly the message that the fund wanted to be embodying. And so she made the transfer of $1 million within days of that divine instruction being given. To cut the long story short, you can find this article on Sword and Light. Anita thought she might help 50 or 60 charities through her $1 million in some kind of a smallish sort of way, maybe for three months to tide them over this season of deficit. But God was good. The fund grew to $6.7 million through public fundraising. And then suddenly, the government announced they were pumping in $18 million in support of the Invictus Fund. And so Anita testified, this is an amazing story of God's goodness. We're talking about five loaves, two fishes here. Because he multiplied that one million into something like 24.7 million right now. And that really is the message. God brought about the divine multiplication. It has nothing to do with me. My act in it was just a simple act of short-sighted obedience. Now what do you hear when you hear this story? Do you think to yourself, I I don't even have one million dollars. That's true for most of us, right? But that's not the point of this story. Suppose you did have ten million dollars. Would you be able to part with a million dollars? Probably not, right? Reading the testimony of Anita Farm reminded me of the story in the Bible in John chapter 12 when Mary came to anoint Jesus' feet with an expensive jar of perfume. Let me read it to us. Six days before the Passover, 
Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those inclining at a table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nut, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now this story beautifully summarizes all that I've said today. First, Mary spared no expense in honoring God and delighting his heart. Mary was extremely generous. The perfume cost a year's wages. It's not a small sum, much like Anita Farm's $1 million pumped into the Invictus Fund. And so friends, I want to tell you this, the truth. Whatever you give to honor God, because you love Him, will never, ever be forgotten. Sure, nobody knows the amount you give except just two people in the office. But God will never forget all that you give to Him out of love. Second, Mary considered it more blessed to give than to receive. She considered it more blessed to give than to receive. And third, Jesus commended Mary because she sold for the future. She was preparing Jesus for the day of burial rather than being focused on the present and what she was losing out. Look at what Jesus said again. She saved this perfume for the day of my burial. And we all know that perfume actually is useless for the dead, right? And so Mary did something tremendous and I would say prophetic. She sold for the future. For Christ's death, looking forward to his resurrection. The point of Anita's testimony then, and this story here in John chapter 12, is to encourage us to give with a heavenly perspective. We come back to that first scene in heaven where we learn to feed one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us give because we are sowing for the future. If you truly believe that God has raised up our church to pastor the city by spreading scriptural holiness across the land, I want you to challenge you to give money as a seed of faith on your part, trusting that God will multiply our reach and resources to progress in our godly ambition to spread scriptural holiness across the land. I want to challenge you to sow into our shared future. Let me now summarize. Today's sermon only has one main point. You can't forget it. When you have nothing to give, give anyway. Because God will supply all our needs in Christ Jesus. But three sub-points here. We give not to earn man's approval, but to delight God's heart. We give not to receive greater financial blessings, even though we know God will not shortchange us, but to relish in the joy of blessing others. And finally, we give not looking at the present, but sowing for the future. Ultimately, we give because of our love 
for God. We give out of our joy that we receive from God and we give out of our hope in God. Come, let us pray. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you have deposited this word in my heart long before COVID-19 even struck. Thank God, you are always the faithful God. And indeed, Lord, you will supply all our needs. Renew our minds and transform our hearts. Make us cheerful givers. Like Mary was generous. Help us, Lord, to give with a heavenly perspective to sow towards your work to provide for the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Lord, help us not just to be hearers of your word, but be doers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.